Okay, we're going to read Revelation 20 and 21. It's not a mistake, it's the same as last week. It's not a mistake. Okay? So it's page 1250, I think it says. It's a bit small, sorry. And we're going to read from chapter 20, verse 11, to chapter 1, verse 21, verse 8. Okay, Revelation 20, starting at verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, there shall be, neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I'll give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Thanks, Helen. As we come to God's word tonight, let's just bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much that you've given us your word. Thank you that your word tells us everything that we need to know about you, about ourselves, and about how we can come to know you and the future that is ours in Christ Jesus. As we look at your word tonight, we ask for that help that comes from your spirit to make your word live in our hearts and impact our lives this week. In the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so tonight we're thinking about a new way to live. In Revelation chapter 21. Um, focusing particularly on verses 3 and 4. Last Sunday evening we thought about the first earth, the first heaven being destroyed. Sin being obliterated. And... The church of Jesus Christ 
being presented to him by the Father in heaven. And as we move into verse 3, things have changed beyond all recognition and understanding. I tried to find an illustration to make the point, but I failed. Because this change is just so dramatic. It's so far-reaching, I just couldn't find anything. But at this point, the earth and the universe, as we know it, has now gone. The earth has been consumed with fire. The elements have burned with a fervent heat. The universe has been destroyed because the whole of this creation has been wrecked by the curse of sin. If that's not dramatic enough, there's a new heaven and a new earth now that God has flung into existence. The church has been given to Jesus Christ as his bride, a church that is beautiful, pure, perfect and clean with every taint of past sinfulness now utterly gone. And so at this point, we come to an angelic announcement. This is not an announcement made by God. You'd have to go on to verse 5 to find that. Um, This announcement is about God and comes from some angelic being. But the announcement is stunning and amazing. And these two verses are packed with so much that is exciting And also so much that impacts us both now and in the days to come. Tonight, there's a real sense in which I want us to uh, enjoy jumping into God's word. I want God's truth to sink deep into our hearts and lives. Because, you know, sometimes we should just revel in God's amazing goodness to us. And as a result of that... We'll want to love him more. So, four points to hang the sermon on tonight. All start with God, because this is all about what God is going to do. All are in the future tense, because it is yet to happen. And tonight, if you're a Christian, this is all about you. This is you. This is your future. This is your new life. This is your new relationship. So listen up and get a glimpse of what's in store for us in Christ Jesus. The first thing I want us to see is that God will dwell with his people. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Now, the root meaning of the word dwell here is actually quite enlightening. It's linked um, to the word Shekinah used in the Old Testament. The Shekinah is a very important Old Testament word. It it refers to the, the presence of God himself. So, it was typified in the pillar of cloud, the fire that led the Israelites at the time of the Exodus. It also symbolized the presence of God in the tabernacle. And then later when the temple was built, God's glory, his presence came and filled it. In the Old Testament, 
The presence of God was symbolised as being in the midst of his people. Um, That becomes much more significant in the New Testament. But there are two stages that have to get us to this point. First of all, we have the incarnation, where the word becomes flesh. And then we move to the marriage of the Lamb at the end of time, when God comes to dwell with his people personally. This verse teaches us that God is going to live with his people. He will make his home with us, or will make our home with him. When I was um, young, and that was a long time ago, there were some interesting theological debates going around in my youth group. One of them was, would we actually be with God in heaven? Because, you know, we'd be with Jesus, but, you know, God is just so absolutely pure and perfect and magnificent. Nothing and nobody could ever dwell in his sight. Everyone accepted that we would be with Jesus, but but kind of living in God's presence, well, let me tell you, I think the text provides us with a clear answer tonight. God will live with us. That is just an incredible thought. The God of eternity is going to be alongside us as we live for an eternity in heaven. That is the, uh, the unique privilege of knowing Jesus Christ. Second thing tonight, God will have a relationship with his people. Look again in verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. We will be his people, and God himself will be with us and will be our God. This was the promise made to the Israelites in the Old Testament, fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Remember in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the midst of the camp. So in the midst of the camp of Israel was to be found the tabernacle. And there God is pictured as dwelling in the midst of his people. Do you remember in the Old Testament though, he's completely unapproachable. We hear about the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant, strictly never to be seen. But nevertheless, God lived amongst his people. But the age of the New Testament brings a richness that is even more glorious. Because God sends his son to come and live amongst us on planet earth. And in due course, when Jesus has died, been raised to life and ascended to heaven, he sends us his spirit, the Holy Spirit, who comes and lives within, indwells every single believer. The moment you know and trust Jesus Christ, God comes and makes his home with you through his spirit. The old covenant was glorious. Don't downplay the Old Testament. But the new covenant is even more amazing. But the home in heaven, in a new creation, goes even beyond that. You see, we will live in the presence of Jesus Christ and God bodily. We will live in the presence of God. 
The text says God himself will be with them, his people. He's going to be with us in the new creation. We will be God's acknowledged people. Fully acknowledged. He will delight in us, having been bought with the blood of his own precious son. And he will be our God. In this these verses, in these phrases, notice the personal words being used. His, God himself, their God. This is personal. This is relational. But then as we move to point three, we will see the depth of this relationship is quite astonishing. Number three, God will comfort his people. Now it's a kind of a flashback to Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. Comfort, comfort you my people. But there you go. God is going to comfort us when we're in heaven. And we read that he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now let me turn you back a few chapters to Revelation chapter 7 verse 15. Because in Revelation um, 7, we've got a picture of the assembled um, church of God. You've got the um, Old Testament people of faith. You've got the people of the, the New Covenant who are unnumbered from every nation. And as they come together, um, there is um, words that are said from heaven in verse 15. And this is the description of people who know and love Jesus. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, verse 15, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And here in verse 4 we read, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Have you ever felt your personal space being invaded? You know what it's like when someone comes up to you, don't they? They come about this close and you keep walking backwards and they keep going with you and you kind of wonder whether you're going to bump into something and where it's going to end. It's not very nice, is it? But if you go in and wipe someone's eyes, you're getting really close. You see someone face to face, close up. And at that point... You give them your full and complete attention. You look as it were right into their eyes. And with tenderness, you wipe the tears away. And as you do so, you see the pain and the suffering. You take on board something and identify yourself with it. In past days, very often I did a lot of end of life stuff. And there were many tears and crying and when I was in that situation and had someone with me who was really upset my heart went out to them and you know if I knew them reasonably well which I probably did at that stage I might put my arm around someone's shoulder 
I might well pass them a handkerchief or a tissue, but always good to check your hankies clean if you do that. But I don't know of anyone other than my wife, not even my kids now, where I would dare to take out my handkerchief and go real close up to someone and to start to wipe the tears from their eyes. That is just so, so close up, so intimate, so very, very personal. The amazing fact is that this is the personal relationship that we're going to have with God. He'll give us his full attention. We read he'll wipe away our tears and understand our pain and our suffering. Can you just begin to grasp for a moment the relationship that we're going to have with God? It is incredible. It is highly personal and relational. Now tonight, if you're any half-decent theologian, you're going to have a question. Is that right? Okay. Your question should be, what are tears doing in heaven? Now, this is really strong picture language. It's picture language that's meant to display the personal relationship that we have with God. We will have with God. If you want to put it in theological terms, it's anthropomorphic. It's describing God's actions in a human way that we can understand. But think about the immediate recipients for a moment. Who was Revelation written for? It was written for seven churches in Central Asia many of whom were going through intense persecution. They were being hounded. Some of the church members were being killed for their faith. They're suffering under serious persecution. There are tears, there's heartache, there is suffering. And here the angel, the heavenly being, announces to heaven that God himself will wipe away the tears of pain and suffering. He will comfort his people. And the memories of a past life that encompass suffering will be wiped away. I don't think that means that we kind of won't remember, but the pain will be taken away. Can I touch on what I think is a really delicate subject? It's so delicate I need to tread carefully. But there will be people that we know and love or have loved who won't go to heaven. I know some of you battle over this regularly in your lives. And the question comes, how can you ever be fully happy and content in heaven? How can you ever enjoy heaven and the presence of God knowing what you know. Now, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know this. God will wipe away every tear and give us joy. We will know things, but somehow we will see things in a different way. We will see things from God's perspective. We won't see things through the eyes that we presently have because our eyes are prejudiced by our sinful nature. But know this, God will comfort his people. There's so much we don't know. But what we do know 
is so exciting and so encouraging. And our Bible is absolutely clear tonight that there will not be pain or grief in heaven because God himself will handle it and he will deal with it. Fourth thing tonight, last one. God will provide a new way of living. Verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. You don't need me to stand at the front tonight and tell you that death is a common occurrence. The undertakers will never be out of a job. And tragically, on our TV screens, in our newspapers, we read about the tens of thousands who have died in Turkey in the earthquake. We read reports of tens of thousands being killed in war and conflict. Somehow it's often out there, and it's a long way away. But yet it happens close to us too, doesn't it? And when death happens around us, it is painful. Much as we have the promise of heaven, death for those around us is a very painful experience. You see, death is the last enemy. It's the last chance the devil has on us as we slip away into eternity. There is the pain of separation. You see, Jesus himself wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He was moved as he encountered the widow of Nain's son. Death is the terrible result of our sin. Every time I look into um, a grave that's been dug and see a coffin being, laid, being, being kind of lowered into it, it breaks my heart. It also makes me angry because this is what sin has brought into this world. And yet I've got to look at myself and take the blame. But do you know the message here? One day death will be no more. When we live with Jesus in heaven, we will never experience death again to ourselves or to anybody else living in heaven with us. There will be no funerals. There'll be no mourning, no pain of separation. And death will be a distant memory in a former life. Can you imagine a world without death? Then imagine a world without crying. Any tears in heaven will be tears of delight and joy. Emotional tears of love will be what we will know, but there will be no pain in heaven. As we look around our church fellowship and those that we know, we often see the pain and difficulty that people experience. Those battling with their old age or disease Jill and myself have just been dealing with a, an aunt of ours these last few days um, up in Yorkshire who's really struggling with old age uh, and a few changes that have happened. And it's so sad to see that. We see those struggling with illnesses, with disabilities, those struggling with jobs, family worries, 
All of these will be gone forever. They will never happen again in heaven. That is for the whole of our future eternity. Why? Because we're told the old order of things has passed away. If you're a Christian tonight, all this is yours. This is your future. This is your final state. Forever without end. Utter joy, happiness and contentment. A life that is a billion miles away from anything that we know right now. And it is to spend the whole of eternity there. You know how long eternity is? You know those little hourglasses you get, you know, kind of sand timers or um, when, you, when you play a game or boil an egg or something. Nobody uses them boiling an egg now, do they? But um, you kind of get, get the picture. Well, if you were to take one of those sand timers and put the whole of the Sahara Desert through it, just imagine how long that would take. That is just the first day of eternity and the rest is to come. If tonight you're not trusting Jesus, then none of this is yours. You're going somewhere as horrible as heaven is fantastic. Yet it doesn't have to be this way. God offers us life through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross died so that we can be forgiven if only we will confess our sin. Don't walk out tonight and walk out on a saviour who can save you and rescue you for a whole eternity and with whom you can have a living relationship. God wants every one of us to come into a living relationship with him. He wants to live with his people in relationship. He wants to give us absolutely everything. Joint heirs with Christ Jesus. To poor people who deserve nothing. Just imagine how much of an encouragement this would have been to those churches in Asia Minor who were suffering. And today, in the UK, there is a danger that as Christians, we can lose the sense of who we are, our identity in Christ. We can lose the sense of who we are, what we're doing, and where we're going. God's word helps us to understand our identity in Christ. And you see, tonight, if we've got any glimpse at all of what Jesus has done for us, where we're going, the relationship that will be ours for the whole of eternity, then tomorrow as we live in the world, we should live proudly as the children of the living God. Proudly in the right way. Willing to acknowledge him. Wanting to live for him. And wanting to share the best news ever with people around us. Let's bow our heads and pray. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for such just brilliant, amazing news this evening that we can read in your word. We thank you for this amazing plan of salvation whereby you haven't just rescued us but you have heaped and showered blessing upon blessing on us 
We know that we don't deserve any of this, which makes it even more stunning. But tonight, we, we just want to come and say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for giving us new life. Thank you for opening heaven to us with the future that is ours. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live in the present, knowing who we are and knowing where we're going, that we would truly honour your name in our lives. Because we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.